Matters Queer Media. My name is Luke Smith. My name is Sebastian. And this week, I, I'm sorry, Sebastian, I didn't tell you about it in time because it was a very quick uh, planned interview, but I am so thrilled that yes. I actually got to interview a Canadian government minister. This week, I was able to interview the Right Honourable Badish Chaga, the Minister of Diversity, Inclusion and Youth. Uh, Minister Chaga was co-presenting or co-announcing with the Minister for Women and Gender Equality and Rural Economic Development, which is Maria Monsef. Okay. Uh, they both presented earlier this week at a, a sort of Facebook Live event, the $15 million dollars, Canadian dollars that came out of the LGBT capacity fund mm. um, to 72 organizations. So we'll go into some of those details a little late. Before we get into that, I want to talk about some utter nonsense. Oh, and it is utter nonsense that apparently some folks are believing. Now, cast your mind back uh -huh. to the utter nonsense that we mentioned a couple of weeks ago. Right. Um, where Wh which this... utter nonsense in particular? Were you talking about gay vampire movies? No, you were talking about, you're always talking about gay vampire movies. There's so many of them. <laughs> you watched another one recently, didn't you? I did, yeah. It was actually pretty good. It was called Bite Marks. It was uh, low budget, but they uh, they were not too ambitious. They stayed within their abilities. The writing was, they had a couple jokes that actually landed. Failed comedy is not funny. Failed horror is hilarious. So you got to watch out for comedies. And it, it, it landed. It was okay. I would watch it again with somebody else. So yeah. All right. Well, back to the ridiculousness that I mentioned earlier, unrelated to your vampire uh, <laughs> madness. But a couple of weeks ago, we referred to a rant from the Iranian cleric Abbas Tabrizan. Tabrizan. Oh. oh, right. And yes. this particular ridiculous Iranian cleric um, has decided that he believes that the vaccines are turning people into controlled robots mm. and homosexuals. Mm -hmm. What's quite worrying here is uh, apparently, I mean, Israel, which has vaccinated an incredible proportion of its society, is mm. now just all homosexual robots. I think that's what this means. Well, the interesting thing is uh, the actual phrasing, from what I understand, uh, uh, that it's been translated a little bit poorly. What he actually says is that people become their opposite. So you know, healthy people become robots and straights become gays. But then that also means that like boring people become interesting and gays become straight. You'd think he'd promote this as being like mm -hmm. a positive the thing. Solution. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's just, it's all around a bizarre narrative. And by the way, a really good idea for a low budget movie plot. <laughs> just a vaccine that, that turns boring people interesting and vice versa. <laughs> I love it. Uh, well, according to uh, some reporters, I'm picking this up from The Advocate, pretty reputable source. Mm. There are two QAnon channels on Telegram with about 180 and 56,000 subscribers, respectively. And the, these two QAnon channels, uh, they have now decided that, you know what, this ridiculous statement by this cleric, this the, the opposites, uh, uh, in fact, cleric is what I'm going to call him. They have decided that, you know what, this ridiculousness has a ring of truth. He, they, they are beginning to debate amongst themselves that, uh, yeah, no, maybe the vaccine does cause children to become homosexuals. I mean, does this work for other vaccines too? Like, did did the vac did the uh, uh, the polio and smallpox vaccine back in the fifties cause feminism in the seventies? Like, is there a pattern here that we can 
we can really drill down into about like i don't know i'm being sarcastic here and, and you're not reacting <laughs> It's well, so I mean, hard. I don't know. I mean, I'm, I've got one here. Here's some, here's a flavor of the madness that was right, put out right. there. Let's assume being LGBTQ is genetic for a minute. Since okay. homosexualities, by and large, don't procreate their own children. Um, I think we're being quite liberal with the by and large here. Uh, mm. Their own genetics typically are not passed forward. Now, Sebastian, mm. I'm going to ask you to tap into your your academic training as a as a biologist as a uh, biologist yes yeah. so he says uh, their own genetics typically are not passed forward uh since that is against the continuation of life mm. then homosexuality can't be a dominant gene it must be recessive and clearly the covid vaccine is just waking up these recessive genes does that have a ring of anything other than the manure from a male cow uh, sense about it First of all, that's that's not how dominant recessive works. Uh, uh, secondly, uh, most evolutionary biologists have scaled things back. They don't look at how many children you leave behind. They look at how many grandchildren you leave behind because of what we've learned about uh, bees, wasps, and ants, that uh, two-thirds of the colony are sterile. And weirdly enough, they are more related to their nieces and nephews than they are to their own children. It's actually a bad deal genetically to be the queen, to be the only reproducing female. It's really weird. So they actually started looking at this sort of thing. How many grandchildren do you leave behind? That's the real question if you're looking at evolution. But moreover, homosexuals aren't sterile. We just don't enjoy the process so much. But there's a lot of straight people who don't enjoy it so much either. There are a lot of, of, of gay people in history. I, I'm saying gay as in like gay men and lesbian women uh, because the rest of the spectrum has its own different issues. But definitely for, for exclusive homosexuals, they have closed their eyes and, and thought of Chris Evans and because they're <laughs> like, I want a baby. I'm going to do this. And uh, and back when I worked in the, the bar, because I, I worked in a gay bar years ago, maybe something like one in 10 of my regular clients had an ex-wife and children. Well, for the listener's sake here, I want to just expand on that. There isn't just a gay gene that the COVID vaccine is going to come along and prod into action. That's not, it's, it's absolutely not how it goes. A couple of years ago, we interviewed the UK's top neurologist mm. about his book that he wrote called Gay Straight and the Reasons Why. And he yeah. zeroed in on the hypothalamus in the brain and how that differs and, and some different uh, uh, theories as to how that would result in, in homosexuals versus uh, heterosexuals. But it is everything from uh, there have been studies saying that there are things that happen in the womb yeah. that can make you gay or straight. There are things that happen at conception that can make you gay or straight. There's mm -hmm. things that happen, uh, you know, during uh, in the DNA. There's things that happen hormonally. Yeah. There is no clear answer on what makes somebody a homosexual um, other than the love for Chris Evans. Right. And, and uh, well, I mean, you know, I'm more about Snowden. Like, kidding aside, yeah, no, it, it's, it's, you look at twins, right? You can have identical twins, genetical, identical twins. One of them hates sour flavors, and the other one can't get enough of lemon. You know, like, one loves lemonade, and the other hates anything sour. So, I mean, these kinds of things can happen when you look at twins. So, if you're looking at twins, genetic copies of each other, and they're not completely identical, obviously, there's stuff that happens in development. And... The, the studies that I've said, because I've actually looked at, you know, uh, uh, 
various scientific journals about this because I'm, I'm interested in this i want to know the details they say there's somewhere between like 10 and 30 genes there's a couple that seem to be stronger than the rest but it's it's a whole host of genes and they kind of work in concert with each other and it's pretty complicated it's a behavior like we're not we're not looking at like polydactyly like there's one gene that gives you a sixth finger but like behavior is different it's very complicated and anyone who thinks that it's easy to modify is really oversimplifying things you know here's the weird thing okay i try to understand people i disagree with i try to see the world through their eyes i try to understand how do they come to the conclusions they do there's a lot of groups that i try to find sympathetic just to see their humanity to try to understand where they're coming from and i cannot find a way to not just think of QAnon as being weird and you've seen me like go eh, about all sorts of groups. You're like, how are you doing that with them? And it's like, well, you know, they they they're misinformed. They think they have a point. They don't, but they think they. Do. I can't find a way. They're just so bizarre. Just they're. I don't know. They're almost. They almost have the belief structure of a cult. I don't know. It's weird. It's weird. But yeah, no. It, it's I can't see a vaccine turning you gay. Um. But yeah, it is. It is quite shocking that uh, that anyone would believe the ridiculous rantings of the cleric Abbas Tabrizian um, mm. or would would follow this madness. I mean, at the end of the day, let's look at Israel. They haven't all become opposites. Right. Uh, you know, all the kids haven't suddenly discovered homosexuality uh, with a prod from a single vaccine. Mm -hmm. It's just yeah, yeah. utter nonsense. Yeah. Utter nonsense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, also just a lot of stuff about um, people who are apprehensive about the vaccines in general. And there's a, there's a, like, there's reason to be apprehensive about vaccines because they're a funny thing to deal with. But let me, never mind the science. Let's just look at this practically. If you're apprehensive about the vaccine, you and I, Luke, yourself, and me, Sebastian, are probably going to get it about like eight months to a year after the first people got it. If there are any negative side effects, they'll have cropped up by that. Like you and I are not important. We are not doctors. We are not politicians. We we sit at home talking on radio. Like we are not high on the list. By the time it gets around to being our turn, if there are any long-term side effects, because they did rush this through a little bit faster than they probably should have, but you know, it's an emergency. So yeah, we're taking a few risks. It's not gonna affect us. Cause if there are problems, well, no. So anyone I know who's like, I, you know, I may delay it. It's like, it, it's delayed already. By the time they get around to you, it's already going to be months and months and months, possibly a year later. Like, don't worry about it. Chill. It's okay, buddy. Go for it. Well, I promised you some good news. And we did mention this briefly, 2019-ish. Okay. Angola has just, uh, it has come into effect the repeal of the 1955, uh, sorry, of the 100 and Oh my gosh, of the penal code, uh, the colonial era penal code mm -hmm. uh, that banned homosexuality. So they have now decriminalized gay sex and homosexuality in Angola. It officially comes into effect at day of recording. Mm. Uh, so we're very excited for folks in Angola to be able to breathe a bit more easily mm -hmm. um, and, uh, and move forward. They will no longer be uh, you know, at risk of being tossed in jail just for who they love. Um, it is it is great news for Angola. It is. Unfortunately, now they have the harder battle of the culture war for acceptance. The legal war for acceptance usually takes about five years, but the cultural battle takes decades. 
Well, we we wish them all the best. Let's yeah. jump to, uh, well, let's jump to the first song. This is Vanilla with Go. Um, and when we get back, we will be listening to the interview with uh, the MP, that, uh, the minister that I spoke to earlier, uh, Minister Balish Chaga for Diversity, Inclusion and Youth. And uh, after that, me and you will touch on some of the incredible programs that, uh, that got funded, as well as I have some other clips from the, the news event. So let's jump to those and we will be back just
Hello and welcome back to Can Queer, home of Canada's queer media. My name is Luke Smith and I am, you know, I thought I was excited about the interviews last week, but it has nothing on my excitement for the interview today with the Right Honourable Minister Bradish Chaga. The, uh, just thank you so much for taking the time in your very busy day today uh, to come and speak to me and uh, all the listeners to uh, the radio show here. I thank you so much for having me and I'm glad you're excited because I'm really excited too. We were able to make a, a really exciting announcement, $15 million for 76 organizations from coast to coast to coast, building upon the, the work that we have been doing. And this is new money. So not replacing other money. This is really about how do we build capacity in LGBTQ2 serving organizations as well as that national network. So it's a very exciting day. I mean, I was excited when the fund got announced as part of the budget in 2019. Um, you know, our show was looking at this being like, wow, this is going to be an incredible shot in the arm for uh, LGBT civil society. And the, the proof really is in the pudding here. Um, you know, I was looking through the list and you've got like Truro Pride, small town pride, 17 grand. But for that pride, it's going to make the world of difference all the way up to like 700 grand to build unbelievable capacity for national organizations. I think what has jumped out to me as somebody who's worked with, uh, you know, pride organizations and, and other LGBT groups and folks that we've interviewed, having the ability to just hire somebody to do a thing and, and, and rent an office space to, to do a thing, um, you're making that happen for 76 different organizations. It is truly astonishing. And thousands of Canadians from coast to coast to coast. Just the concept of understanding that when I or an individual contacts the organization that there's to serve them, someone's going to answer the phone. And we know that the pandemic has been a challenging time disproportionately for certain segments of the population and LGBTQ2 Canadians, no exception. And so that's why more than ever, this fund was needed. And so, yes, you're right. 2019, we committed $20 million. We were able to get $2 million out the door to seven organizations, national organizations, rather quickly. And then now within the next fiscal year, actually getting the remainder of the money out to 76 organizations, as well as giving a top up to the original, well, six of the original seven really does make the difference. And we know that the fund aims to help build and maintain national LGBTQ2 networks and gatherings. It supports LGBTQ2 organizations in developing and enhancing their capacity to deliver services at the community level, because it's really about people and individuals. And it maintains and strengthens partnerships between LGBTQ2 organizations, the government of Canada, and other potential funding partners. This is another step of the work that we've been doing. Since we took office in 2015, it's really been about how do we um, really build a truly inclusive Canada. And that's why right now, I'm not sure if you know, and I hope you do, because we have a survey that we've launched because part of my mandate is actually helping to develop and shape the first national LGBTQ2 action plan. And what I want to see is that it be informed by community so that the government responds to the needs of members within the community. So if you're 16 years of age and older and you self-identify as part of the LGBTQ2 community, we wanna hear from you. It's entirely anonymous, it is entirely voluntary, but before February 28th, please take the time and let us know 
what's happening in your world, what is your real um, experiences, your lived realities, so the government can actually help um, and actually support where it's needed, not what we think is needed. Absolutely. I'm really glad you brought up the survey and the action plan because uh, I've had a couple of people email it to me being like, oh, did you know about this? And it's like, well, yeah, this is this is fantastic. And when, when government is making a, a big decision, uh, it takes a lot of information. It takes a long time to move the machinery of government in, in a certain direction. Um, with the pandemic, you know, accepted, you, you folks moved unbelievably fast there. But when it comes to creating an action plan for an unbelievably diverse community, making sure that everyone's perspectives are, are reflected is so vital. Uh, we will be including the links to this uh, um, in the website and we'll read out the addresses uh, online later in the show uh, as well. Please take a few minutes and fill out the survey. I know I've done it. Um, I will be prodding Sebastian to make sure he does it. Um, and uh, we'll be going. We'll be going from there. One of the things that kind of stood out for me is this. Obviously, was announced pre-pandemic. The, the 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 funding, the applications closed. I think in March. Or I think it may be in May. Um, right when people are like just figuring out that you know the world has ended. Um, how do you think that that's that's impacted these? Did you do you think it impacted the applications? Do you think the pandemic has had much of a, a, an effect? So actually, Minister Monsa, if you're right, had announced it on March 3rd, 2020. I had echoed it on um, March 4th, the following day. Um, and then the applications were supposed to close at the end of April, but then we extended it to mid-May just with the COVID reality um, because the world was changing. As much as it feels like it was ending, it wasn't ending. It was just really changing really quickly. And it, I think, really has highlighted... Um, the inequities that exist within our society. And, you know, if you look at the, the disparities, however you want to call it, between certain equity-seeking communities, LGBTQ2 communities being no exception, it's not like this started because of the pandemic. It's always existed. So now I feel that we actually have, under the leadership of Prime Minister Justin Trudeau um, and this government is we've been responding since we took office in 2015, but there's just this desire to double down and say, we need to do more and we need to do it faster and we really need to work in partnership. And I think that's what's kind of exciting about it all. And the announcement took a little bit of time, primarily because we want to announce it all at once. And so there's contribution agreements being negotiated with uh, Women and Gender Equality Canada, the department. Um, and I'm really grateful to the team there that's working so closely with my team in diversity and inclusion and in youth to get this money at the door. Uh, because we want to ensure that people succeed and these organizations succeed. And today's announcement, we saw um, dozens of organizations all on a virtual connection together, hopefully building a network and learning from each other and lifting each other up and then leaving the ladder down for others to also come and be able to, you know, create that society where every individual can be their true authentic self. Well, I think we have a couple of clips of that announcement from earlier today, which would be uh, last week for, t for the time of recording. Um, but I think what really stood out to me is the dedication that this government has shown to supporting the LGBT community and, and better understanding the LGBT community. You know, you've mentioned this action plan on the survey. Everyone, please go out and fill it in. But also, you know, there was a couple of researchers out, you know, with Stats Canada who dove in and talked about the how uh, COVID-19 has disproportionately impacted LGBT folks and sort of gave some evidence on that. I think we'll touch on that a little bit later in the show. But it seems to be a whole of government approach 
to welcoming and empowering LGBT folks. Now, having been in Canada for 10, 15 years, I, didn't, I don't recall previous governments having had that same uh, commitment. But it does beg the question, as we move, as you get the last of this funding out, you're topping up those other six, is this, is this going to be sustainable? You know, as we move into the next three budgets, is this is this a one-off fund? So our government, since we took office in 2015, um, oftentimes is referred to as the government that consults. So we need Canadians to let us know what's on your mind. Where do you think government can support? How does government work with and for Canadians? We committed to being the voice of our constituents in Ottawa, rather than being Ottawa's voice within our ridings. So we have transformed the way government works. So right now is a budget consultation process. You have an opportunity to go to the Finance Canada website and let us know what you think. A lot of the organizations that were funded um, through this um, LGBTQ2 Community Capacity Fund always existed. They've been based on volunteers. They've been based on people within the community going above and beyond to help serve you know, fellow citizens to help serve their community to really make sure that those supports are available. What this fund does is provide them a little bit of assurance that they can continue to provide these services during uncertain times. But what it also does is it provides certainty to the people who are receiving those programs and services that this is not just a COVID thing. This is really about how do we access services and make sure that it exists. And I agree with you, Luke, like when it comes to this government, you know, the prime minister said, we have a choice to make. We can decide to move forward instead of returning to the status quo. We can choose to embrace new solutions to the challenges we face and refuse to be held back by old ways of thinking. We have this opportunity. As much as the pandemic has been horrible and challenging and unprecedented, we have this opportunity to build back even better and consciously more inclusive, to be aware of who's at the decision-making table, to be aware of who are we being informed by, and that's what our government wants to do. When we created the um, anti-racism strategy, as well as the anti-racism secretariat, it's because we spoke to Canadians from coast to coast to coast. We spoke to equity-seeking communities. We spoke to religious minority groups, and the list goes on. And that informed our anti-racism strategy, an evergreen document. And now we can do something very similar with the LGBTQ2 action plan. And that's why we want it to be created for, for Canadians by community. And that's why it's just really about saying, please work with us. We are here to work for you. And as I said at the announcement today, you know, it's important that members of the communities know that we see you, we hear you, we know it's been challenging and we don't want to leave you behind. And that's why you have a full voice at the cabinet table. And that's why I'm so proud to serve as your Minister of Diversity and Inclusion in you. Excellent. Thank you so much, uh, Minister Shaga, for, for taking the time to speak with me. Um, I couldn't say it better myself. Uh, me and Sarasha are going to dive in on some of the examples of what was funded because, uh, I mean, I could I could wax poetic about the, the these funding packages uh, until the cows come home, but I don't want to take up any more of your time. Um, on behalf of me and, and the show, thank you so much for your time. And more importantly, um, thank you for you and your government in, in terms of offering this vital capacity to the LGBTQ uh, civil society. It is greatly appreciated. Thank you so much again. Hello 
And welcome back to Cancrete, your home of Canada's queer media. My name is Luke Smith. And I'm Sebastian. That was the interview that I did with uh, Minister Chaka. Now, I was so gosh darn excited doing this interview. Mm -hmm. And it is because the funding is just so good. Yeah, I'm, I am a cold-hearted cynic. And looking at this, uh, it did warm my heart a little bit. You can attest to this before we started recording. We had a chat where I was like, oh, I'm skeptical. And then... Over the next five minutes, it's like, oh, oh. Well, <laughs> let's let's cast our mind back. When they announced the two million and a whole bunch of it went to um, uh, Toronto Pride, including to do a national uh, study, yeah, a local Pride organization hosting a national study, yeah, it really had the smell of a cash injection to yep. save an organization that was staring at bankruptcy. It wasn't it wasn't great, but yeah. the government did move very quickly to get 2 million to six organizations. Mm -hmm. Toronto Pride was one of the six. Mm -hmm. um, and but it was the one that raised the most eyebrows at the time. But now 15 million to 72 organizations, all of whom had to create applications uh, yep. in in sort of March through May uh, and apply for it uh, to get this support and I am just so excited about what this means, what this will mean for everyday Canadians, everyday LGBT Canadians over the next 12 to 24 months, because this is going to be a game changer in so many towns and cities from coast to coast to coast. I mean, I'm looking here at uh, Fierte Canada Pride. They are the National Association of Prides. Yes. Um, you know, we've got the big ones like Vancouver, Toronto, Montreal, but they also represent the, the like the, the wee bitty prides. They applied for a grant called Capacity Building for Pride Organizations. This is fundraising workshops, grant writing workshops, uh, sort of organizing. It could be a huge game changer for these small town prides. And I think something that we really shouldn't gloss over here is the idea that it is capacity building. That was the thing that warmed my heart because usually... Funding like this is project-based. So you get a large amount of funding and you're supposed to do something that can be done in one to sometimes four years, usually one to three years, and probably not going to be funding again. Capacity funding is all about improving the fundamental service. If you go through this and you look at all the things that a lot of these organizations were given grants for, some of that has to do with physical space, some of that has to do with training, getting, I don't know, registration into different kinds of organizations like it's it's very much built on fundamentally improving quality of service for all these different organizations and for a lot of them uh one of the ones listed here is is max and we've actually interviewed people from max ottawa a few times and they've had a huge problem for the longest time that there's a lot of things that are cheap and easy to run but to get them off the ground you need a huge cash injection for training or equipment or membership into some organization or something like that. And a lot of this is that initial funding to get them over the hump to get the carrying capacity at that new level. Because a lot of the services that are being run on the day-to-day -day are no big deal. It's that initial funding of getting it off the ground. And that's the majority of this. As I'm scrolling through this, reading most of them, a lot of them are capacity building. It's uh, it, it's very positive and very good for the long term, and I'm actually pretty excited that it's more oriented towards that and not just uh, projects. And projects are fine. There's been a lot of really good projects in the past, but I, you know, this is really, I think, what the LGBT services of Canada have needed 
for a long time. Well, let's let's jump to um, how uh, Minister Chaga introduced, the, you know, the, 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 her spoken comments at this event, uh, and then we'll we'll briefly jump to uh, Minister Monsef. Uh, and, and her comments, uh, and we will be back just after hearing what they have to say about uh, about this fund. As we continue our fight against the COVID-19 pandemic, we must also work to build up and support strength and resiliency wherever we can. This pandemic has exposed and amplified many existing inequities and gaps in our social and economic systems. In fact, the COVID-19 pandemic has affected all Canadians and disproportionately certain segments of the population, including LGBTQ2 individuals in Canada. As Liberals and as the Government of Canada, we wholeheartedly agree that LGBTQ2 rights are human rights and should no longer be up for debate. I would like to take a moment to appreciate the numerous members and allies who have and continue to advance this essential work. Exactly as has been asked for right now more than ever, it is crucial that organizations serving LGBTQ2 individuals from coast to coast to coast are supported with the means to do their important and life-saving work. À l'heure actuelle, plus que jamais, il est crucial que les organismes au service des programmes LGBTQ2 d'une océan à l'autre soient appuyés avec les moyens de le faire. Currently, these organizations are strained. It's been difficult to mobilize volunteers and they have been limited in the kinds of programming and support they can deliver. Yet, we all know that COVID-19 didn't cause these inequities. It has only made them more apparent. They have always been here. That's why in 2019, under the leadership of Prime Minister Justin Trudeau, our government recognized that it is needed to provide further support to LGBTQ2 community organizations so they could strengthen their operations, grow their networks, and build capacity to help advance equity for LGBTQ2 individuals across Canada. Budget 2019 allocated $20 million to establish the first federal fund for LGBTQ2 organizations in Canada's history known as the LGBTQ2 Community Capacity Fund. The first phase of funding allocated around $2 million to seven national initiatives. The public call for proposals for the second phase was launched in March 2020 from my dear friend and colleague, the Honorable Miriam Monsef, who you'll hear from shortly. And today I'm pleased to announce approximately $15 million in funding for 76 LGBTQ2 projects across Canada through the LGBTQ2 Community Capacity Fund. These organizations share the vision of building an even better, more diverse and a consciously more inclusive Canada where people are free to be their authentic selves and to live their lives to the fullest. Like our government, these organizations are committed to strengthening LGBTQ2 communities and advancing equity for LGBTQ2 people in Canada. This progress we cannot take for granted and we must protect it. Our government is clear that standing up for two-spirit LGBTQ rights at home and abroad is the right thing to do and it is also the smart thing to do. This fund that we're talking about also has an international component. 
Uh, in addition to the funds that Minister Chagger announced, Canada is working to create greater safety and supporting LGBTQ organizations abroad. So that's what the politicians said. Um, and there's definitely a degree of excitement there. Um, I wanted to, I just want to pick up on what you were saying earlier, Sebastian, about capacity building. Now we, we're on a few stations in the East Coast, particularly Nova Scotia, a few mm-hmm. uh, very popular in, in Nova Scotia. And I wanted to mention Resilient Passage. They're developing culturally relevant resources for LGBT youth in Nova Scotia. But what they're doing is building managerial capacity. They're giving their staff, they're hiring staff, and they're giving the staff the technical expertise to be able to consult, to access and use evidence-based data so that this organization is understanding what is needed in Nova Scotia, but also is then able to actually act on it and make it happen. You know, in the interview with the, the minister, I mentioned that what got me really excited is that we're seeing these big, you know, up to 700 grand for an organization to really shift the the narrative of what happens next. But you also see like 17 grand going to Truro Pride. You know what I mean? And it's- it's, I saw that, yeah. (laughs) It's not just the big and the mighty. It is, it's so good to see the capability. And I think it's going to invigorate the Canadian queer community in the next sort of 12 to 24 months. I mean, now that you've had a chance to go over some of these funded projects, Sebastian, mm-hmm. are you optimistic? Are you hopeful for the next 24 months? Uh, I am actually. Uh, some of the ones that really stand out for me, I, I was curious as to which ones got the least. And there were a few of them that were archives. So there was archives in Toronto, archives in Montreal. There's archives at West where we've interviewed them a couple of times. And they're getting about um, 60 to 80 grand a piece. And for an archive, that's actually, that's a fair chunk of change. That's not necessarily hiring an archivist, but that is uh, preserving the past. And for what they do, that can be a a substantial chunk of money. So a lot of it is very much to scale to the organization. Like the amount of funding that Truro Pride got, um, it really it wouldn't be like that would be one event if you're in Toronto, but in Truro, like that's a lot of it is, is relative to the needs of the organizations. And some of them are getting very well funded. Some of them are getting very well funded for what they are. Like overall, it seems very thoughtful. It seemed like they got that one person who knows how to do their job properly to actually make this happen for once, instead of just throwing it down the hall and say, whoever's free on Saturday can do that. Like it looks planned and it looks like it was planned by somebody who understands and that that actually does make me optimistic they there is a lot of care and attention that has been given to this mm-hmm. um i do want to do a shout out thunder bay pride got some funding we're on oh, CILU radio congrats to those folks in regina for cjtr fm uh the building capacity of trans communities in saskatchewan uh, the Trans-SASC support services, they got a pretty decent sum of money. So congrats to those guys. But I think there are a number of national organizations that are going to be working uh, across the country. And a lot of those in some yeah. regional centers, they're going to be doing a lot of this outreach to the broader communities. Um, and a whole bunch of folks in Vancouver got uh, got funding. So yeah, what 
a great news day. It was a good day to be the minister when you get to <laughs> announce tens of millions, you know, of dollars in funding. Everybody likes to cut a ribbon. I remember, well, this was 73 ribbons at the same time. This is, uh, <laughs> you need industrial shears to, yeah. to cut through uh, this many ribbons. Well, with all that good news, I am going to need a minute uh, to, to calm myself. Uh, let's jump to another song. We have, story is the, the band, the song is Leave My Heart Behind, another Canadian uh, LGBT artist. We will be back just after this. Welcome back to Cancre, your home of Canada's queer media. My name is Luke Smith. My name is Sebastian. 
Now, Sebastian, our last yes. story of the day. Um, I'm pretty sure this will be our last story of the day. It comes from Red Deer, Alberta. Okay. Uh, I'm going to set the scene for you. You haven't heard about this particular story no. uh, in, in much detail. So the Central Alberta School Board has rejected plans for Pride celebrations, according to CBC coverage from the area, the Red, Dis Red Deer Public School Division. Mm -hmm. They had a trustee, uh, a couple of trustees, bring forward a proposal to have a Pride Week. Right. Uh, apparently within Red Deer, there is uh, a sort of culture of silence. Um, and uh, certainly a, a bit, a bit, a bit oppressive. And it's also relevant to say just, it's a minor detail. It doesn't necessarily have to do with Red Deer, even though in Canada, Pride is normally associated with July and August in the school systems. If they have a Pride week, it'll usually be in February or March, usually February, sometimes March. Yeah. So that's why we're talking about this now and not July. They introduced a sort of a general, what they're calling diversity week. Okay. where they're going to celebrate all of the diversity that okay. exists within the Red Deer School uh, School Board District. Uh, okay. One of them commented, one of the trustees commented that, that they just had to vote against the Pride Week on a technicality. Okay. Uh, it wasn't necessarily diving into the technicality itself. Um, they claimed that uh, students are quite capable of introducing Pride Weeks themselves, and it doesn't require a board decision to make that happen. But yeah, it is quite uh, quite a commotion over in Red Deer. The uh, the chair of board Manning, according to the CBC, in the written motion, said that the division will be celebrating the first Gay Straight Alliance, the Power of H program, uh, which was the school theme of the Hunting Hills High School, which promotes home, honor, health, hope, and heart. So the gay community in Red Deer is somewhat upset it has been yeah. called a cop-out it has okay. been called homophobic uh it is it has been ridiculed as a gay man sebastian if you were living in red deer and you found out that the school board uh was possibly going to have a pride week but then opted for a, a very generic undefined diversity yeah. week uh how would that make you feel and why is this an issue that we're talking about well the first thing that would bother me is that this is loaded with plausible de deniability. Just saying outright, you people are homophobic. They could come back saying, but we are allowing you to celebrate your diversity. So it, it's kind of feeble. It's, it's a weak rejection, but it's also a weak acceptance. And it, there's something so wishy-washy about it that it's really hard to concretely sort of give an attribution to like claim what is in the heads of these people because it is so easy to go either way with this. So I'm not going to try to guess what they're thinking. Um, as for what it is, it is, it's kind of saying like, this is, this is the, the five days because it is a, a school week. So we're not talking about a full seven days. It's a five day period where everybody in the other bin gets to celebrate their otherness. Now, fun fact you can celebrate your otherness whenever you want, however you want. I mean, we have wonderful names out there like Laverne Cox. You know, no one's going to stop that lady from celebrating her otherness. That, that's great. But when you have the support and endorsement of your teachers, the school board, the principal, it helps a lot. 
because then you know that if something goes uh, sideways with this celebration, that someone's got your back. And I think that's the real thing, that they're not wrong. Like the first Pride Weeks in the public school systems and the universities were completely student driven. Sometimes they would have like one supportive teacher who would let them use their classroom after 5 p.m. But like broadly speaking, it was student driven, but it was difficult and it was scary and sometimes it was dangerous and there was no support. And if something went wrong, if somebody beat you up in the parking lot afterwards, did you know for a fact that someone was going to defend you? Like it's, it can be done, but it's scary. And to say, we're going to assume they're going to do it. I don't think that's fair at all. Um, even though technically it's not wrong, like they're not inaccurate to say so, but I do think it's wrong in the sense that it's not very ethical because it's so easy to just say like, we got your back. Even if it's like, we, had, we don't have any funding because COVID is kind of a complicated year. So we can't give you any funding. We can't give you any time. We can't call people down to the gymnasium to give a pep rally because there is no gymnasium because everyone's at home. But if anything goes wrong, we got your back. Even if that was the only thing they could do, I would say that's like 95% of the way there. Like that is a very important message. And they didn't really give that message, but they also didn't really fail to give that message. It's just so wishy-washy. Like I'm more offended by like, you know, commit or get off the pot. Yeah, I, I agree with you that it was, uh, it was, sorry, Buchanan was the, the board chair who pointed to the sexual orientation and gender diversity policy from 2015. Uh, which okay. allows uh, students to create their own Pride Weeks. Um, and it was a different uh, trustee uh, who was uh, Manning, who was referring to these other programs. But Manning goes further and, and in regards to supporting this motion, saying that all things considered leads me to believe that celebrating our diverse nature, embracing our differences, holding one another up with encouragement and love is a more inclusive way to proceed with this motion. I believe it brings all groups together, considers all of our uniqueness, encourages all of us to become aware of diversity and an opportunity for all of us to learn and grow together. What that says to me is that this trustee is tone deaf. <laughs> you know what I mean? It, it uh -huh. says it's, mm -hmm. there is a, a need for LGBT folks to be given leadership, to show leadership. Uh, a need for people to say that this is a space that is from the top down going to be uh, a welcoming and an open space by saying, oh yeah, everybody, you know, you're all special in your own way. You do you. Mm -hmm. Ignores the fact that LGBT folks are being bullied, harassed, have much higher rates of being kicked out of the home, much higher rates of suicide ideation. You know, yeah. their house is on fire. And that is why there is a need to, to focus and amplify and, and, and concentrate on this. Uh, and the, oh, well, but everybody is, is unique and special in their own way mm. does not cut the mustard for me. And this is something we've actually discussed before of, you know, the, the long term on the ground, real stuff versus the symbolic stuff. Not that there's not, nothing important with the symbolic, but like. If they said, instead of Pride Week, why don't we just promise that anytime anything happens, we will support you? Uh, you know, we will fire openly homophobic teachers. We will, um, you know, when we do the five hours of, of uh, uh, obligatory sex ed, we'll make sure there's at least 20 minutes in there about same sex stuff. I, I, hopefully it's more than five hours, but I know the education system sometimes is strapped for time. But anyway, 
that um, you know that that when things are important, we will make sure you're fine. Uh, and if you want to do a Pride Week, that's your own thing. Like for me, the issue is like, what are they actually doing on the day to day to help people? And not that again, I acknowledge the symbolism of having a Pride Week. But if they were to say we're not going to do Pride Week, but instead what we're going to do is change the policies so that you know homophobia, transphobia, exclusion, all that kind of thing, uh, gender-based violence is rejected. That we will unilaterally no longer tolerate it. We will no longer tolerate bullying, blah, blah, blah. If they said, like, we're going to go that route instead, I would be delighted because you know, that solves the day-to-day -day issues and then gives people more stability to create their own space. But I think I'm going to have to disagree with you, Sebastian, because first of all, curricula is set at the provincial level, not within the schools. And, you know, we're talking about, you know, firing a homophobic teacher or, or sort of stepping in there has to be somebody reporting it. You know, somebody has to be, feel confident and secure enough in that space to feel that they can report incidents yeah. of homophobia, uh, homophobia and violence. Well, two things. First of all, I don't think you are disagreeing with me. I think we're just saying the same thing in two different ways. And the other thing is, I just knowing what a diversity week would look like in a high school would probably just be they put some posters on the walls and then they do a 20 minute announcement in the morning announcements on Monday. Like how diversity weeks actually play out in reality is in a high school where their main focus is to get you doing math. Um, it's going to get backburnered. It, not a lot of time, not a lot of funding is going to go into it. And it, it's, I don't know. Well, I, I hadn't actually planned on this being the last song in relation to this topic. Okay. Uh, I had picked the songs unrelated, um, and then we chose the, the, the rollout for today's topics. Mm. Um, but we've reached the end of the show, and uh, we're going to be playing out with Awful People by Partner. Um, mm -hmm. I swear, unrelated. Uh, I, and next week, hopefully, we'll be recording in person. Fingers crossed. There can will I, be can some... I share something with you? Go ahead. Before we sign off? My brother started texting me recently about news things that happened four years ago. And I asked him what that was about. And he said that finally he is starting to listen to the show and he's going through the back catalog. <laughs> so what this means is that my brother is now my mother. Oh, yes. Your brother is now a Sebastian's mom. It's now a super fan. I love it. That's amazing. All right. I've been Luke Smith. And I've been Sebastian. And thanks for listening.